0: right club be the right club today.
1: Yes. Well, I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything different?
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Solly here Sunday night from home actually. We have a lot of stuff Randy is off this weekend, Neil is traveling, Tron is traveling, DJ is traveling, and we are welcoming in Cody McBride, uh, my my friend and colleague, if you will. Many people on the internet are asking, who is Cody? So please help us out. Who is Cody? That's right. First, hello, friends. How are you guys doing? Uh, I mean, where do
2: I start? I think more, uh, no laying up specifically from the trap draw Saudi Arabia fame, or maybe Tour South Carolina is where we walked around Southern Pines Golf Club with Justin Huber, who, by the way, had an awesome week out on the Corn Ferry Tour. But who I am, I I guess you would say I'm the newest member of No Laying Up. Started the beginning of the year doing a lot of back-end stuff and slowly migrating my way up to the front end to get more involved in content as we go. But excited to be here,
0: first big pod, and I'm so happy that it's with you. Well, we are excited to have you. Uh, you You're gonna be in charge of keeping me positive. Uh, for this week, we got a lot to get through. Before we do that, no laying up is brought to you by our friends at the DraftKings Sportsbook. You can get a hundred to one odds on Bryson DeChambeau recording at least one birdie this weekend. That's right. Turn one dollar into a hundred dollars in free credits if Bryson has a birdie this weekend. All you got to do: place any pre-tournament bet golf of one dollar. DraftKings has brought their expertise to legal sports betting. It's a legitimate sportsbook based right here in the US, so you can rest assured that your funds are totally secure. Their top-rated sportsbook app's safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Head to the app right now, check out all they have to offer: player props, live betting, and so much more. And if the sportsbook is not available in your state, don't forget about the DraftKings fantasy app. They're offering a shot at a 1 million dollar top prize for this weekend's major. They've also got these really fun championship series. They're minting 100 millionaires in the 21-22 season. Uh, In order to have a shot at the million dollars, you need to win a qualifier contest. The championship final contests are in person all over the country, and they run across DFS, sportsbook, and casino. They're really fun, so check those out. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now use code NLU when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users have a shot at turning $1 into $100 in free bets if Bryson DeShambo sinks at least one birdie this weekend. Enter code NLU when you sign up to get in on the action. Only if DraftKings Sportsbook must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. Only bonus paid out in four dollars free bets. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or, in, or in Indiana 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Quick run of show here. Cody and I are going to recap everything uh, from this past week in golf. And then on the very end of this podcast, I did an interview with Andy Roddick earlier this past week uh, in Dallas, talking all things Sweetens Cove, golf, Sergio Garcia, Sweetens Cove, bourbon, all kinds of things. So stick around for that at the end. A lot to get to. K.H. Lee has won the AT&T. Uh, Byron Nelson, Dick Bland wins on the European tour. Grayson Sig wins on the Corn Ferry tour. Dickie Pride Wins on the Champions Tour, and of course, Matthew Faldo wins the Sunningdale Golf Club Spring Meeting Nine Handicap and Under Division. Cody, where do we start? (laughs) That's a heavy list to start there. I am so impressed
2: with K. H. Lee, though. I mean, I know that's not the direction that everybody wants us to go, but phenomenal win for a guy who's who's literally been out there grinding at it for a long time. And if if you want to look at the path of where he started. You know, being born in Korea and, and not from the best financial standpoint to grind it out, playing, you know, Japan tour, back to Korea, finally making enough to come back to the States, pick it up, play corn Ferry, and then move up, secure his PJ Tour card now as a PJ Tour winner. It's a phenomenal story, and I'm so excited that, you know, people are actually going to get more involved with it.
0: He's been quietly playing some good golf, but doesn't have a ton of great finishes. He's been one of those guys that kind of pops up on the leaderboard either Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. Has, you know, maybe a bad round on the weekend that, you know, kind of helps him fly under the radar a little bit. But having a guy like Brett Waldman on the bag, uh, I don't know when exactly Brett got on the bag, but it's it's I feel like I see a lot more of KH Lee ever since Waldo Waldo got on the bag, who he's a tremendous caddy and has, has had a lot of success in a lot of areas on the PGA Tour. But... Uh, gosh, his, his post round interview kind of got to me a little bit, just like how excited he was. I mean, of course he's excited. He just won his first tour event, but you know, really trying hard as best. He looked nervous as heck trying to speak English, but I, and we know we've covered this in the past with other international winners that maybe aren't that comfortable in English, but you know, are, are willing to brave themselves and put themselves out there and potential. I mean, it, it just, it's a, it's a, it's something that, you know, a lot of people don't, probably don't appreciate, but that moment kind of got to me a little bit and, and what was otherwise, if we're being honest, a very boring weekend in golf. I completely agree with that. I mean, (laughs) the course
2: setup-wise probably wasn't what everybody expected, you know, especially the first year moving from Trinity Forest. But when you're running Zoysia, you know, fairways with bent greens and you get that much water, there's not a lot of options you can do. Happy there's a great champion. The interview afterwards, I'm right there with you. I mean, for a guy who was kind of struggling to get through it, but he actually worked and, and fought through it. You know, you actually got to hear how... His thoughts and feelings were on it. Um, I do want to give a quick shout out to Jin Park, who is right there. So I don't know if he's his full-time instructor, but phenomenal player at Arizona State University, full-time instructor now out in Scottsdale, and you know, has been with Cage for a while now. And it's so cool to see the Korean delegation at the back of the green. And I know other times, whether it's Bubby Bubbo or Ricky or anybody else, you know, we like to give it a lot of shit. But in instances like this it shows how much it actually means to them. You know, Mm -hmm. a win is huge, not only for their standing and points wise on the made up, you know, FedEx Cup list, but also, you know, how they stand back home in their country and, and financial security moving forward it's just great to see and i could not be more happy for him well and speaking
0: of which ryan loves golf one sent this over and i was trying to look this up while we were in delay but he i didn't realize his uh he won the the gold medal at the 2010 asian games and that exempts him from two-year military conscription in korea which i was looking up when he was going to be doing his service and I, i did not know that he was exempt from his service i that just found that very interesting
2: that's true. So every, you know, when you talk about Sun Kang defending champion here and what he kind of has in the back of his head and the mandatory two year service, When we talk about mandatory two year service, you know, however we want to think about it in the States or not. But, you know, I kind of think it's kind of cool. And I know that that's part of my military background and, and service is a big part of it. But once they go and complete their service, they're kind of lost for a little bit. I mean, where is Moon? I mean I am still searching for him. I know he's he's had a couple starts on Corn Ferry but can't wait for a guy to get back out there because I can only imagine how difficult it is from being one of the top 50 players in the world
0: having 2 years off and then trying to come back and pick it up immediately again. Yeah. And Sung jay has got that looming as well but you know there are you know there are things you can achieve in your sporting career that exempt you from military conscription in Korea. I, I believe it's winning a major is one of them. I don't think the players counts in that regard. That's I think an Olympic gold would work there. Um, but it's a interesting, interesting dynamic. I think if, yeah, it, wasn't, there something with Sang moon that he was really close to winning near the end of his time before he was time for conscription. I don't know if I remember that right, but. Uh, well, I think there's also a caveat
2: on there where it's, it's a, you know, O W G R ranking. And I think he was very, very close to it. the, the the silly thing about it is when we talk about the players, so you hit it right on the head. Four majors, obviously, ranking if you get a medal in the Olympics now. Um, but also, everybody's fighting to get the players added in there. And this is outside of the conversation of a fifth major or all that hogwash. That's that's not what we're talking about here. But an elevated event, and where does it really stand on the global stage? And, and right now, it's, it's kind of funny that for Korean military service, it's
0: you know not accepted. Some fun notes that got worked into the broadcast about Lee. He loves karaoke did not see that one uh, <laughs> see that one it was a former shot putter and he was inspired by Brooks Kepka to get in shape and he got into golf because he was overweight he himself said he was overweight and he got into golf at thirteen when he uh, when he wanted to lose weight usually people you don't see people getting into golf to get you know get themselves from being overweight it's usually a, it can be a sport for people that are overweight so yeah, that's hundred that percent true maybe well, the, that's the American coming out. Yeah. <laughs> on the Craig Ranch front. Let's get into that now. Uh, Lugal asked, "What is the identity of TPC Craig Ranch? Just overall thoughts on the course." You know, you talked about, you know, with you know with Zoysia fairway's bent grass and that much water. The tour didn't really have a lot they could do there. I personally don't have any fault with any setup or anything they really did with the week. I think my question would just be about TPC Craig Ranch in general. It does I mean, it doesn't seem like a golf course for the PGA Tour. I mean, maybe maybe it does seem like a golf course for the PGA Tour, and that might be the problem. It seems like the most generic PGA Tour course you could possibly draw off. Honestly, it kind of reminded me of TPC Twin Cities. I know why it's wide. They plan for these you know, Dallas wins that are frequent but just aren't frequent in May, so I'm just kind of left to be confused as to the identity of, of this event. And I, I want to throw something at you eventually about a date change potentially for this event. But first your reaction to Craig ranch.
2: I thought it, it looks good. And I know I was lucky enough this week that I actually talked to quite a few members from Craig ranch and they said that, Hey, the course is in the best shape that they've ever seen it, which is surprising after the showing that it put on TV, but did they, they slow the greens down of, for the tournament? They definitely slowed the <laughs> greens down. Also. I'll say this. So it, it's very weird that, you know, I think timing wise, like I said earlier, the first year moving from Trinity Forest and Craig Ranch w- was not taken off guard by the move uh, by any means. But you see there's some fresh thought out there. And I know Dallas has had a very tough spring. I saw that when we were out there a couple weeks ago. I think what saved uh, Craig Ranch from every, uh, everybody else is that they actually have bent greens. When we were out playing you know, courses that ha- had Bermuda greens, they were completely fried out. It almost looked like there was like, veins growing underneath the surface. It was a crazy sight, and that's from that late frost, heavy snow that they had. But Craig Ranch, it just doesn't really do it for me. I know a lot of people are complaining because it tips out at 7,400 yards. I'm pretty sure that they previously either had a Q school uh, held there or... Uh, U.S. Open local qualifier, but uh, they did not play it at 7,400 this week. So a lot of tees were up. uh, The greens were slowed down. And when you play ball in hand for quite a few of the days,
0: it just becomes a, a target range out there. Which I honestly don't mind birdie fest now and then. I just hate when there's almost no bite to a course that, you know, there's no risk involved with it. I mean, when you roll out that first round, and it's 68.75 scoring average. Like the field averaged three and a half shots under par. I get that par is irrelevant. It's probably really a par 70. I mean, you know, just for these guys, they're hitting, you know, irons into some of these par fives and the scoring average on all the par fives was below 4.5 uh you know on that on the on that opening day it just isn't like I don't know it's not interesting if you don't have a great field and you don't have an interesting golf course it just is going to turn into a birdie fest and I I don't know It, it just doesn't really activate a whole lot uh within me and Phil Keidel asked he said when was the last time the tour was this nondescript these leaderboards since the Masters have been hard on the eyes. And I think it just is a result of, you know, I'm kind of combining a lot of things here with Craig ranch and, and this little stretch of golf we've had here, but it's just a result of oversaturation in the, in the calendar. And we've talked about this quite frequently on this podcast, but yeah, it definitely felt like one of those weeks it, it hurt by weather delays and having to stream it online, but it felt like it was a little tough to get some mojo going for this event today. No, I completely agree. I mean, what is elevated when everything's elevated?
2: Where do things stand on the schedule when everything's supposed to be super important? And I know it's just a, a weird year for it, but the decision from Charlotte to Dallas back to Charleston, then we're going to go back over. I mean, it, it, it just is a weird spot in the calendar. And I think there's there could be some working uh, and shifting around there because the Byron Nelson has an incredible history behind it. And I think uh, the amount of money that AT&T has put into it definitely deserves to be recognized and have somebody, you know, spot on the calendar that's a little bit more comfortable for him.
0: And that's where I, everyone says, well, oh, you know, I, so I was in Dallas this past week, I experienced some of that awful weather. Every time I go to Dallas, I feel like I get, uh, you know, you know, we're there a lot in May with our relationship with Fort Worth and, and the Schwab. And it just seems like we get a curveball thrown at us every time I'm in, I'm there. And, Everyone I talk to, that's there, like yeah, our Mayweather is just weird. It's always weird here. Well, I'm like, well, shit. Why do you have two tour events there this month? Like, what if? Everyone, I asked everyone there, "What's your favorite month to play golf in Dallas?" And everyone said September and October. And I just wonder if it makes more sense. I know the fall series kind of just gets goes up against football and kind of has this, you know, moniker as being a uh, a, a backseat venue or backseat event. And I don't want to relegate the the Byron Nelson to that at all. But I just wonder. If it doesn't make more sense to have like a Dallas Houston swing, because I thought Houston played great this fall uh, at the Houston Open, and just wondering if if this if an event in Dallas makes more sense in the fall. I completely agree. I think if you're going to be
2: in Texas and you want to try to attempt to get anything of firm or fast and get a little wind in there, where every course is designed to to be the number one, you know, opponent against it is the wind. It has to be later in the schedule. And, and I don't know how they would look at the fall schedule. I know that would be, you know, great for, for golf fans. I don't know, viewer-wise, if it would improve because I doubt there's that many people that watch this week anyway, not just with delays and everything else. And phenomenal job for them trying to work through the weather delay this afternoon. But uh, when you're sandwiched in between some pretty big events from Wells Fargo to PGA and then really going to Schwab, And then into June, it's just hard to figure out what the
0: true identity of it is. And that's what, like on the surface, I think it's easy to say May is a way better spot. You know, you want to be in the prime PGA Tour calendar season, but now we've got, you know, playoffs. I guess it's a weird year for when playoffs and other sporting events are popping up and stuff. But up against a major and how these schedules are now falling out, I don't feel like this is a great spot on the calendar, right? I'm not trying to move it to a to a worse spot on the counter. I'm trying to move it to a better spot for everyone involved, but I don't I know those decisions are, are way, way, way above my pay grade, but it just doesn't, doesn't quite seem right. If we're at a venue that's well outside the city that, you know, I, Trinity forest did not work out great. We've documented kind of our, our reasons as to why it probably hasn't, and probably wasn't a great PJ tour event, but now we're moving it to a very nondescript event that I want. I hope like the locals still have a great time there. And I know that People did not like attending it at Trinity Forest for a lot of reasons: lack of shade, you know, the heat there, lack of viewing angles, and stuff like that. But, gosh, it really just didn't didn't pop on TV. And and it's I I think the the Four Seasons kind of had a better vibe around it, at least from what what transpired on television. But I could be wrong there. <laughs> Real quick on it though, I think you know,
2: cool to see. I know Trinity Forest and viewing it was rough out there. Number one because it was so hot. Number two, it was hard to put any hospitality or spectating areas around the property. But Craig Ranch, and, and if you got a look at the 17th hole, I don't want to call it a mini 16 from TPC Scottsdale because it's not, but it has a really cool vibe and it was actually nice to see people out there uh, all week enjoying themselves, having a good time with proper precautions, I'm sure, uh, still in play, but uh, awesome to see the people come out and actually you know support the event because it, it does mean a ton to Dallas. Um, and that's what, like I said, every single one of the members that I talked to, they were just raving about it and and could not be happier. So I don't know if Craig ranch is a place for it. We talked about how much weather and water comes down in may that makes me kind of concerned for Frisco in a couple of years, but I know Gil did a great job and they got a ton of sand over on that property. So hopefully
0: drainage will not be an issue. Um, but it'll be interesting for sure. Yeah, that's again the this sandwich around the PGA with the two Dallas events or Dallas and Fort Worth events. It is hurting everyone involved. That's kind of the point I think in in everything we're saying. So, yep. Sam Burns had a hell of a week. He finishes in solo second. He is in his last two starts gone one two and but you gotta have kind of probably sense that he's walking away with a little bit of regret on not being able to get it done today. Final round, 70 after shooting 69 and 70 on the weekend. Just didn't look quite as sharp uh, on the weekend. But, man, this guy is playing some very, very serious golf. And we got a question from uh, Evan Evan Aitkins. He says, Burns in the Ryder Cup discussion. And usually I roll my eyes at any like, kind of flash, immediate you know judgment or, or leap like that. But this one kind of got my attention. And I think at minim, at absolute minimum, he should be in the discussion. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't at least give him a look. I don't know
2: where where's the ad actually on the look on the list right now. Oh, don't cite the points. Come on, don't get me <laughs> all fired
0: up about the points. I'd rather. I would say
2: first year. I, I mean, coming out of this year, at least come you know, leading up to Masters and, and up to PGA, I would say I'm gonna hold out any any say on it until we you know we're through PGA. But he is definitely a man on fire. His finishes are right there. I mean, outside of. The little skid that he had of, you know, three must cuts in a row from Texas, the to players to, to Arnie's event. I mean, his solid performance at Genesis earlier this year definitely has him uh, in the thought process for for Captain Stricker this year. But future wise, I mean, he's an absolute star. I mean, he kills the golf ball. He's such a good iron player. Um, and, you know, he has a really good personality and I
0: can't wait to see that come out more if, you know, telecast will allow it well uh, worth noting and I, I always kind of cite try to look at these things whenever we talk Ryder cup this far in advance it's like all right is you know his perf- this so and so's performance on this golf course in these conditions indicative of how you know he would play at whistling straits this fall you know in a totally different scenario and usually the answer is no it's like all right rbc heritage is going to look nothing like whistling straits however I'm not saying, you know, to, not visually. Craig Ranch is not going to look visually like Whistling Straits will. But I do not think the U.S. is going to set up the golf course different. I do think that someone has that has the ability to take a long-ish golf course, completely obliterate par fives, uh, and really just kind of beat, it, beat the golf course to death with ball striking, that could translate really well to Whistling Straits. And he's done that at Innisbrook and now here. He's taken it extremely deep twice, has made birdies in bunches, and has done well on quote unquote easier setups in the last several weeks and if that trend continues through the summer he would be worthy of being discussed for it again he's got to play a lot of really good golf that looks a lot like this very 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 consistently to be in the discussion but uh, at least at minimum in the discussion so he had a he also had a sick chuck he chucked his ball after missing a short birdie on eight and I had no rewind capabilities on the CBS sports uh, website or whatever it is and I couldn't get couldn't capture it but I don't know if you caught that but that was sick no, I saw as soon as you were talking about it. Luckily
2: for me for some reason my my Spectrum and this isn't a shot at Spectrum, but my Spectrum is on a delay. So, I am a good 20 seconds behind everything else that happens in this world. So, it usually works out pretty well for me, but incredible 10 out of 10 on the on the throw there because it was impressive.
0: It wasn't like the casual tour pro flip it off to the side. It was like full on chuck it, you know, Henry Rowe and Gardner style from the from the bleachers to home plate. It was that was a he showed off a little arm strength on that one. Um, couple more th- before we get uh, a couple more things. I want to close out from Craig Ranch. We got to talk some speed. Got to talk some Schwartzel. Um, we got got to mention. I believe so. Our friend Brad at uh, at Walker Trolleys. He mentioned that. You know, Neil and I used the Walker Trolley in my U.S. Open local qualifier, and to his knowledge, he just wanted to point out, he thinks it's the first time it's been that a Walker Trolley push cart has been used in anything USGA related. They've got the upgraded Cape 1.5. It's now available for delivery and continues on the success of the original Cape model. It brings a classic style with ample use of modern technology. The Cape 1.5 has got a polished aluminum frame, and its use of waxed canvas and leather creates a trolley that stands out all over the golf course. So Go to trolleys.com. You get $20 off any purchase by using the code NOLAYINGUP20. And while you're there, make sure to check out the great head covers and custom accessories for your trolley. And since the Walker Trolley is the official push cart of the Push Cart Mafia, you need to make uh, the, the co-branded No Laying Up and Walker Trolley Push Cart Mafia head cover a part of your collection. You can get it in black and red in the Driver 3 Wood Hybrid and Putter uh, so to show your pushcart mafia pride head to walkertrolleys.com today use code no laying up 20 to get 20 dollars off your entire order um charles Schwartzel, runner up at zurich t14 at the wells fargo and t3 here at least i i would just have to say at least worth noting as we head to keo he's 100 to one heading into it and i just would be remiss if we you know he's played this good of golf for several weeks in a row and we didn't at least mention that i don't know if you have anything more to add on Schwartzel. uh He's hitting the ball again and rolling that rock, well, which We got to talk about the putter.
2: Oh my if God. have seen that putter. I mean, it's, it's so funny when you put that tweet out, I was like, yeah, that's, that's a great point. I don't really get it. I've never understood when you have a, a shaft that, you know, is fixed to the back of the putter, but Hey, it, it seems to be working for him and he is coming into form at the perfect time. And it's kindly, you know, reminiscent of when he went on that crazy run and, and just started picking up majors left and right. Um, the odds look good for him. I don't know how he's going to be. I know he he plays very good in the wind, and hopefully, you know, out at Kiev, we'll, we get a little bit of wind next week. But that's a big boy course, and I don't know if he has the horsepower anymore to to be able to keep
0: up with it. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put him at the uh, you know I'm not flagging him to win the tournament, but if he is somewhere in the top ten, that would not surprise me at all, just because of how well he's trending with the ball striking right and. You know, the, I think the pass palum is going to be, you know, a bit of an issue for guys putting this week. I just don't think guys are going to drain putts like they usually do on that kind of grass and um, just wanted just to worth note that. But one guy who I do think is going to drain some putts this week, of course, just blind optimism, Jordan Spieth. Uh, he successfully did it this time around in his last start before major. He did not win, but played pretty well. He tied tied from ninth. I'd say that's pretty much, you know, a standard week for Jordan Spieth at this point, which is... I have to point out, top 15 in every start this year except for the play- – he missed the cut at the, at the Farmers to start the year. It was like T-48 or something to the players. But he's been the top 15 of every other start this year, and we're into May. So uh, uh, Ram 24 asked, has Spieth had the most consistent year in terms of average finish thus far on tour, or is that just my Spieth and C bias I mean, it has to be close, right? I haven't he- checked him against everyone else, but I, I don't know of anyone else that's putting up that, that consistent of numbers.
2: Yeah, it seems like going back to, to really, not the beginning of the year, but the, the end of January, moving into February, all the way up to this point, I mean, it, he is always in the picture, and he is finally putting things together. It was so you know, great to hear him actually share a little bit about that with you and the process that, that him and his team have, have gone through in the last couple of years to, to get him into the position. But if he starts feeling himself, which you it looks like by all means he is, I mean, he's going
0: to be the man that everybody's going to be trying to beat. I don't know what your big takeaway was from the podcast we did with him earlier this week, and if you haven't listened to that, please do go check it out. It just seemed like, I don't know what I was expecting in terms of him speaking about his you know, struggle and, and getting through it and everything, but it seemed to be such awareness still that he wasn't fully all the way there, which both concerned me and, like, got me excited in terms of, like, oh, this isn't, like, the best we can expect from him. It was still, like, you know, we've kind of not band but not, I don't want to say band-aided together, but have come up with a plan and a swing that is not going to blow it off the planet, and he is basically trusting his instincts out there and not thinking too much swing, which is what we've been dying for him to get to. But, you know, it, it just made me think, like, there is still another gear that he could reach, right, and that we haven't quite fully seen as good as he's played. And I don't know if you got that impression at all from listening to him, but that that just kind of stuck out to me. I've been like, oh, I kind of thought, hey, we're back-ish, but he just seems to think like, I don't know, there's one more step he can take, and I'm wondering if this coming week is the week. Yeah, I'd definitely say he sounded like,
2: you know, if you had a dog and there was a little bit of meat left on that bone, he's trying to fight and get to it. I couldn't be more excited about you know, the rest of the, not only the year for him, but where we're going in in the next three, five, 10 years, because, you know, being as open as he has been really since he let the cat out of the bag with the injury and and trying to figure out a swing to get around it and then just pure resiliency to just stick to his team, stick to the process and know that they're doing the right things and and they might not be showing immediately, but you know, once they keep battling it out, the results are gonna come and, and that's where he's really at here. And I, I was one that was calling for changes too. And of course it's gonna blow back in my face. And that's why, you know, I have money on him next week. And he's he's my guy. I don't know who else. I guess we could, you know, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but we could talk a little bit about Rory and how the ocean course is going to set up for him. But if you look trends wise and and how Jordan can roll the rock once he gets ready you know it, it seems to be going in that direction and i could not be more excited
0: well if there's going to be a pga site i'm not saying necessarily Kiowa tees up perfectly for him but it it seems good on the good side to me compared to beth page and harding park in terms of if we're looking to close out the career grand slam here Kiowa makes more sense to me than a lot of other courses we've seen in recent years uh I, just something that doesn't have long rough and does isn't a, a driving contest i think is going to be uh, a very very good thing for him but we're, we're going to have a full pghm chip preview podcast coming out uh later this week so don't want to spoil too much of that just mentioning a couple more guys or I guess one guy that uh, you know has his good play sticks out and is worth mentioning going into a major championship. Daniel Berger seems kind of primed to win a major, and again, I don't know, I have no idea how well playing well at T- at Craig Ranch is going to translate to Kiowa. I really don't, but obviously Berger has a stellar resume as is, and is coming in swinging the golf club well, and thought that was that was one worth uh, worth mentioning. But how about? Dustin Johnson pulls out of the of the ATT Byron Nelson this week the week before major with a knee injury. That seems hashtag not good to me. No, I agree, especially when you have Brooks actually in the field with
2: a legitimate knee, knee injury and kind of wondering what's going on here. The good thing that I know about Dustin's camp is that I don't really ever put too much into it because if he was hurt, you know, he's not going to play. He's not you know afraid of taking long stretches off when he needs to. Uh, I think he just, you know, probably looked at it and, and wanted to make, you know, the, the folks in Dallas happy, but ultimately wanted to prepare for, for PGA. And I hope a strong showing comes
0: from him, but I'll be
2: honest. I thought that going into Augusta too, and it didn't really work out that way.
0: I mean, we're talking no top 10 since February. I mean, since the Genesis, that's like a, close, a good three months, but since DJ has been in the top 10. As the number one player in the world, that's that's not normal. That's not a normal thing. That's that's not nothing to uh, you know just to brush off as a as a short little slump. Something just seems a little bit off, and it's got me a little bit worried. No, I agree, and
2: hopefully, I mean, we'll see what he comes out. It. I hate to say a home game, but I know he's played <laughs> around there a ton. And you know, I want to jump on your point too about Daniel Berger. I mean, just absolutely golfing his ball off. If there is a course, you know, a, a major, whether it's U.S. Open. In U.S. Open or PGA Championship category, I think, you know, Kiowa kind of sets up perfect for him because it's goofy and kind of quirky and you got to hit your ball, you know, hit some fairways and, and scramble your butt off. And, you know, that kind of seems to be what he is very, very good at. So 67-64 this weekend um, and in prime form. And the other person that strangely jumps out the page of me who spent been spending a ton of time down in Charleston – uh, playing Kiwa Scott Stallings I mean 63 66 on the weekend um, could not be more impressed and if, if somebody's going to reach out and try to grab their first major I mean he's somebody to look at Hmm, interesting
0: I'll just say Berger was third in strokes gain off the tee this week and seventh in strokes gain approach the green so he is he is smacking the shit out of it right now uh, did you see yep. the Sun Kang and John Rahm incident by the way no, what happened? So it uh, this was from uh, Brian Phillips on on Twitter had uh, had tweeted this video out. But Rom standing over like a birdie putt from like fifteen feet, and Kang is like taking practice putting strokes, like no, like kind of within his eye line or whatever it was, and like walking around as Rom is putting. It's called caught on camera, and then Rom goes to line up another putt later on. And finally backs off, and he's like you're, like, you're like 15 feet away from me and walking around. You've been doing. He said something else to him, but it was very much a. There was a, a little showdown between Sun Kang and John Rahm this week. So I don't know if, any, if there's any history there or more to come on that, but it looked a little bit uncomfortable. So huh. I'm going to have to get some sources on it and see what we can find. We'll out. find that on it. Brian Phillips on, on Twitter has that. I can send you that afterward. But. I think that's a wrap on Craig Ranch for me, unless there's anything else we're forgetting. I guess weather delay-wise, you know, it was a, a struggle of a Sunday. Did you have any issue with any anything, uh, how the tour handled any of that or how all that unfolded?
2: No, I mean, I th- you know, put them in threes, dual tees, move them up early. I think that, that kind of fits, you know, I think they played their cards right there. I do want to say so impressed with the absolute hustle this afternoon from the ground staff of trying desperately to get these last three holes in uh, before it got crazy. And, and I don't think without uh, lightning finally coming in, they probably would have stopped. They just would have been out there squeezing away. And, and it was, it's good to see people hustling because the last thing that they want to do is, is it get delayed and potentially push to a Monday when everybody's trying to get on flights over to Charleston.
0: I just didn't think they were at any risk of a Monday finish from everyone could see that gap in the radar coming in that in the later part of the afternoon. Right. It was, you know, stopping for a little while was not going to be a total washout. I didn't think at any point. So. Uh, they just seemed to be very aggressively trying to push to finish when it was dumping. I mean, we're talking about a guy has a putt, you know, to keep a three-shot lead with three holes to play, and they're out there trying to squeegee his line before he putts, and that just didn't – like, if that was Jordan Spieth, I think people would have had a little issue with that, you know. And I'm very thankful that it didn't end up affecting the championship. The lead didn't change hands after the rain delay. None of that uh it just seemed a little bit like gosh this doesn't seem like a championship right now this seems like they're trying to squeeze this in and I just I hate seeing a tournament end, and kind of like that if I was there in the lead I I would have been probably causing a little bit of a stink of like guys can we can we pause this because this is this is not really golf right now it was absolutely dumping too right, right. it was so
2: much water coming down <laughs> that's guess, actually what I like too I, I mean it's kind of refreshing watching PGA Tour live just from the the commentary standpoint, but that's a, a separate topic that we'll get to a little bit later on. Uh, but the, the, their microphones pick,
0: picking up the amount of water that was actually coming down. It was insane. I just can't, pl- I can't play golf in the rain. I don't have, I'm not a mutter. Uh, I'm, I, I've said this before I'm like an elite 11 quarterback you put me in shorts and short sleeves I can play a little bit but you throw anyone any blitzers coming at me any defensive line getting through the off I'm toast I just I don't have it I just don't have it in me but right and what's the call there you go
2: you don't go a rain jacket so you rely on caddy with hopefully a dry umbrella under there nobody's
0: going rain gloves or anything I else I couldn't like believe that. the lack of rain gloves I mean I guess it was right? warm enough that you didn't need the the jackets or the coats or anything but no rain gloves that was as somebody with glandular issues that was bothering me greatly i was waiting for a club to go flying so happy when leash pulled around the backwards hat i was like okay now we're talking about some serious downfall here um so speaking of downfall why don't we why don't we go to this next big big kerfuffle on the social media this past week about the uh ncaa women's regional in baton rouge uh that was just canceled after no shots were hitting um no shots were hit i believe would be the proper way to say that they were rained out for the first two days, and then uh, I forget the name of the official that comes out onto the steps, and it's all caught on video. Golf Week, I think, was the first to share this video, just saying that although the course is in uh, playable condition, it's not in championship condition, and they canceled the, the regional, and the top six teams advanced automatically with uh, several other individuals advancing automatically, but uh, several careers uh, came to an end based on this decision by the NCAA. And gosh, did they just get absolutely roasted for it. I love a beatdown session on the NCAA. Who doesn't love it? Uh, but gosh, that just seems super, super questionable. There's a great article by t- uh, Tom Von Heron at ESPN.com that just kind of broke down all the feedback from everything on it. But uh, before, I, before I just keep going and uh, hammering in them on this, Cody, your thoughts here? Yeah, for us talking about earlier about maybe grounds crew doing
2: a little bit putting too much hustle into it. Maybe we should add some of those guys out in Baton Rouge. Oh my God, they did nothing. If they're going to make the call and say that due to the amount of water that it's still, the course is playable, but not playable to a championship level, we're going to have some issues when when multiple reports of ground staff, you know, not really out there doing much. No pumps, saw you know, on the course at all. No attempt to squeegee anything, no attempt to shorten Uh, Any of the holes just to get it done. And and this goes completely against what's actually in the the NCAA guidelines for this of, yes, it's supposed to be a 54-hole event, but you can shorten it to 36 or 18 as long as the the championship is held. And ultimately, you know, kind of a self-imposed rule of regionals had to be completed by Wednesday evening, even though that was still nine days prior to nationals actually taking place um seems kind of stinky to me seems like there's a lot of things that they you know could have done um and outside of the initial outrage i was more shocked watching golf today when you know our friend shane bacon had the actual director of i'm pretty sure she was the director of the ncaa women's championship committee for golf on who of course stood by it but said you know there's nothing else possibly that they could do. And you're left with a million questions of, well, why didn't you try to find another venue? Why didn't you try to get additional staff out there? Why didn't you try to shorten the course? Just trying to get some form of round done because I got it top six and, you know, the individuals who were within, you know, the slots are going to go through. But you got to think for that seventh team, who knows where they're actually at standings wise going
0: in they got screwed. And I mean this is on the heels of uh, just a topsy-turvy, you know, year well for everyone, but for, you know, college golfers have had, you know, very few things to play in across the country and to have this, you know, rained out or canceled without hitting a shot and people's careers ending. You know, especially like you said the de- once the details started coming out of You know, the course is so first of all, the PGA Tour has turned par fours into par threes before, like the highest level of professional golf has turned par fours into par threes and worked around weather stuff and shortened events and played, you know, just kind of almost abbreviated events and given out trophies and, and awarded a champion of those. So it's not like this is unprecedented and you know especially not at this level right in, in college golf you should be able to figure something out uh or move some stuff around even if it isn't if it's less than ideal it's better than nothing i play i played a mini tour event this summer that it the, the entire course was casual water like it was such a joke it rained so much And I, I, everyone just kind of waited out the rain delay and went out and just played and took drops 50 yards left of where they needed to or, you know, whatever it was. And nobody said a word about it. It was, like, very far from ideal, but people were just super thankful to have something to play in last summer. And I thought that was just very interesting. I was surprised there was no bitching or anything like that. And so – like, players can stomach this stuff. They want to play. They want to compete. They want an opportunity to do something like that. You can put them on a putt-putt course, and they're still going to want to compete and get come out of that top six uh, in advance. And so, to you know, the, the coach of Sam Houston, I'm getting his name here, Brant Kishnick, said, I walked a bit of the course. It was playable. The water had receded a little bit, but there was maybe one hole that we'd have to move from a par four to a par three. A few of us coaches mid, mid-afternoon mid went to the committee with questions and said, what can we do? We'll do whatever we have to to play. I specifically asked the head rules official why we can't play, what do we have to do? The answer was that, well, we don't think you get the right champion if we don't play the bunkers because the concern was basically that the bunkers were unplayable, which they would have had the option to mark them as unplayable and have it take a free drop, whatever, uh, and so that was like a huge hang up for me of like, wait a second, just cause you can't play out of the bunkers doesn't mean you're not going to have a golf tournament. Like that is not, that's, that's insane. You can have unplayable, you can take a free drop out of it. You can do so many different things that if everyone here is saying that we can play, why would you not let them play? Right. Let them play. I think that's the biggest thing here is that people are
2: stuck on this championship level or championship conditions thing where, I think they wanted the course to be absolutely perfect and they're missing the point of the whole thing is that as long as it's an even playing field for all competitors that are in that field, they can still host that championship. It's not a competitive playing field against any of the other regionals. And the fact that they, you know, pulled out, oh, we're, you know, we couldn't hit out of bunkers is just completely wrong. And they're looking at it from the wrong optic here. And again, the seniors, the fifth year seniors, not only this year, but last year and not even having uh any championship because of covid and everything else like that just completely
0: heartbroken for them yeah and just the as you mentioned that kishnick said they did not witness any maintenance crew attempting to get the golf course ready for play which, if that's going to be the case, if you'd have told the players, like, we're concerned because we don't have anyone there that can get it ready for play, they would have gone out and got the pumps themselves, and they would have squeegeed the golf course themselves and raked the bunkers and done anything. You know, you could divide up between that many teams, divide up hole by hole, give them some equipment. They would have probably done that if that was, you know, the last option to, you know, allow them to play. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a terrible situation for everybody involved, and uh bad, bad, bad look for the NCAA, but... Um, on a much, much more pleasant note, Richard Bland wins for the first time in 478 starts on the European Tour at the Betfred British Masters, presented by Danny Willett, I believe is the name of it. <laughs> Tim, uh, I, did you get a chance to catch the interview, the FaceTime interview he did with his parents afterward? was They played it on Golf Today, and gosh, it was just like my my wife walked in right at the end of it and she was like are you, are you okay? I was like yeah, yeah I was crying. Like I was just crying at this interview. <laughs> Did you catch that? Yes,
2: very it was, mm. emotional. It's so cool to see the it seems like the ultimate grinder, too. I mean, I don't know. Th- that is a long, long time playing professional golf at a very high level and and ultimately chasing it. I think it not only shows how hard it is to win on any tour, but really the ultimate pursuit of just, you know, having professional golf is your job. Um, The toll that it takes on you and and the family support system that you have to surround yourself with because it's a grind. Um, And it was so cool that he was actually, you know, not
0: only able to share, but they shared it, the, the interview with all of us. I mean, yeah, just the, the the pride his family had in that call and how proud his, his dad and mom were. It was, that was, that just hit me right in the feels. Imagine, imagine how many, how much travel and how many hotel nights are in 478 starts like literally like like 2000 hotel nights is that a fair estimate like yeah that's, that's how many years six years or whatever just truly away from home and gone traveling like following a white ball around forever and never knowing if this is ever going to happen how many hundreds and thousands if not millions of miles flown to all these events got 32 top 10s uh, in his European Tour career, he played the Challenge Tour two years ago at 46 after losing his status and got right. his card back for it. Uh, gosh, it's just as a fantastic story uh, on the European Tour. That was an uplifting one from the weekend. So cool the post-round interview too. I know is Tim Barter, his instructor, did the post-round interview for Sky, and uh, gosh, it was it was it was just it just brought a smile to my face today. So congratulations to Richard Bland. He he joined uh, the golf today folks for an interview uh today as well so he said <laughs> bacon asked him if it was over under 1 a.m and over under eight and a half drinks had last night uh and he had he, he probably said the over on both of those which i think we can come to understand right the other thing too you know probably not a shock to most of the people
2: but richard bland with this win even though it's an awesome win and a, a pretty you know premier event on the european tour is not coming to kiwa uh does not get exempt to that but did win their little mini merit for qualification and uh, entry into the U.S. Open. So looking forward to seeing him next month, teeing it up there. So going to be really cool.
0: Amen. Are you ready for Hamsterdam? Uh, <laughs> Love it. For those that aren't aware, Hamsterdam is where we try to isolate our coverage takes into a certain section of the show so they don't bleed into other parts, which I think we've done a fairly good job to this point. But the big highlight from the week, finally blocked by Nick Faldo. Did I deserve that one? I, I don't even know
2: what his issue was with it. <laughs> You pointed out a very good point of why was that even
0: in the coverage?
2: And, you know, it seems like he just kind of... Finally, got fed up with you. So, congratulations.
0: I've I've had many, many, many shots at uh, Sir Nick Faldo over the years, critiquing his commentary. Which all I think would have been, and maybe it's a lifetime achievement award I, I got this week, but uh, all would have been much more, you know, apt moments to finally pull the cord and, and block me. This this comment was not directed at Nick Faldo. This was at production crew that approved or what I am sure it, the idea probably came from Faldo, but somebody approved that, you know, it was worth spending time on the broadcast to congratulate uh, his son for winning the Sunningdale golf club, spring meeting nine handicap and under division, his 32 year old son, by the way, not like a nine year old son that won a golf. It's not a Charlie Wood situation here. Right. Listen. All right. So many bad comments came on Twitter from this. A lot of people that are just Faldo worshipers were all up in my ass and, I, I just didn't even have the heart to reply to some of them of like trying to explain like, do I, ha- do I have to explain to you why it's an issue? So much of what we've had an issue with television coverage in the last several years has been addressed by both the PGA Tour and CBS and even NBC of saying like, look, here's what we're restrained by, we have to do this, we have to do this, we have to do this FedEx Cup thing, we have to do this many commercials, we pay this much in rights for the commercials, you know, for the broadcast, so we have to do 18 minutes of commercials, blah, blah, blah. All these things are all reasons why they don't show us live golf. There is nothing forcing them to insert themselves into this story like they insist on doing, and it was, honestly, my tweet was pretty lighthearted about it, I was just like, look, no one's asking for this, I wasn't actually really that upset about this instance in particular, but I just want to point out the hypocrisy that comes with saying they can't do these things because of this, this, and this, and this is what they spend their time on, it's just like, just maddening, no one is asking for this, and they just keep, it, it serves their interest and not the viewer's interest, I'm actually more and, and you know maybe i'm i'm putting too much emphasis on the negative comments that came afterwards but i'm more surprised that more people don't care about this like why why is this not a a very clear evidence that you know they're going to put their priorities in front of yours or what they think you want to hear versus what people actually want to hear why aren't more people upset by this i don't know i mean do people <laughs> actually enjoy watching that telecast i can't ima- i i i guess i don't know i i get a lot of feedback of well why why do you watch it then it's like well I'm trying to cover golf. I'm trying to cover professional golf. Like It's very hard to do sometimes when the golf isn't covered. And CBS has made very, very, very tangible and strong improvements to their golf television coverage this year. And we have not been short on praising that, complimenting that. It's a whole new branding. I feel like their coverage has been better. But listen, it's not ever going to be perfect, but there's very clear things that you probably just should not do with your broadcast. And it's little things of all the birthday stuff. it was Frank Nabilo's birthday, the Friday, it wasn't even Saturday, and they're wishing him a happy birthday, and all this stuff, is just like, I, I, I don't get it, I really don't, and maybe that's just different strokes for different folks, maybe that works for a lot of people, it doesn't work for me, and I'm going to share my opinion at all, Matt, at all times, you can, welcome to disagree with it, but gosh, it just, it just got under my nerves a little bit this weekend.
2: Yeah, whatever other people are taking to, like, become immune of it and they're okay with only watching like a handful of golf shots, Uh, not even like per commercial break or segment, but per hour, I would love to know whatever that is so we can get on it because it's difficult at times. Just show the golf. And I I said it earlier. That's why I kind of enjoyed PJ tour live this morning. I think they got the biggest get out of jail free card when weather actually did come in and coverage caught up with tape delayed coverage and they actually showed it. Uh, you know, 16, 17, 18 live. Uh, so good for them for finally fitting it in. I don't know what Faldo's issue is. Um, obviously, you guys got some beef. I don't know if you're ever going to squash it, but I'm sure there's a long list of people who are blocked by the
0: this Cernic Faldo account, and you're just the newest one. So congratulations. I guess so. And like I said, maybe I deserved it over, over a, a uh, you know, a litany of, of shots, more pointed shots, but like that, I didn't think this would be the one. It was mostly just like his response was like, oh, sorry for having a little bit of fun. It's like, yo, you are missing the point here. Like, you have taken 18 minutes away from us to start, and then you hit us with a bunch of promos and all this. So then when you do this self-serving stuff on top of all that, like, do you know how much of a middle finger that is to the viewer? Like, that is what gets me worked up. And so I, that his response just really pissed me off. And that's I got the block after I responded to him because he got ratioed into oblivion, and that hurt his feelings, I guess. So... So, yeah, we uh we we're, we're no longer neighbors. He moved out of his his uh, he used to we used to live in the same neighborhood. He moved out of his house and I moved out of our apartment as well. So, uh I won't I won't be running into him nearly as often, but um <laughs> Lastly, Steven Yeager was close to getting the uh, Battlefield exemption on the Corn Fairy Tour. Grayson uh, Sigg won the Visit Knoxville Open by one shot. Corn Fairy Tour, that was not on TV, but they did pick up with some video coverage there at the very end on Twitter, which was, which was nice. But um, Grayson Sigg locks up his tour card. Steven Yeager, of course, got his tour card locked up, but that would have been sweet to get the Battlefield promotion. Up to the PGA Tour, but just came up one shot short. Plenty of
2: time left. He's yep. obviously, you know, playing such good golf already this year. One more win, and I know we, we talk about how difficult it is to actually close some of these out, but, you know, he is golfing his ball, and, and it wouldn't surprise me if by the end of summer this is locked up for him, and, you know, he gets the the exemption, promotion, whatever we want to call it, but he's going to be on the PGA Tour either this summer or, or when the season actually ends, and, you know, congratulations to him. Grayson Sig actually, you know, absolutely playing clutch down the end. Uh, I know scorecard wise, great pars on 17 and 18, knowing that Jaeger's in the clubhouse at 19, and he's just kind of holding it together with that one-shot lead. So happy for him to to bring the you know the victory home, and and you know we'll see what happens.
0: Well, one last final segment here before we get to, uh, our Andy Roddick interview, but, uh, you have, you've recently, a uh, recent addition to the Noling up team here, recent addition to your bag, I believe has been made. Why don't you tell us about, uh, what that addition has been and what that transition has been like for you? Right. So, you know,
2: thankfully we have a master fitter in our ranks and that's Mr. TC himself. So, I spent quite a bit of time with Tron as it is working on either Crash Course Podcast or Crash Course video series which hey you should check it out as well. But I switched over to the, you know, the new Epic Speed Driver and working with Tron and going in, getting on the simulator trying to figure out what actually fits me, dialing in my numbers and I honestly was shocked when I took my old driver in there and you actually look at a the numbers of what it was, you know, what it was producing. So my spin numbers with my old driver were like in the thirty-five, thirty-six hundred. Yikes! What's ideal it was crazy. for listeners?
0: For listeners that don't know and me, what's ideal?
2: Yeah, anywhere between two thousand to twenty-five hundred. That's where you want your your spin to be. And I always knew that I hit a really spinny ball, and I. Is, I'm kind of those one of those weird guys where even with the driver, I feel more confident. You know, kind of Hood, I can hood the club face and kind of trap it in and, and hit this low little running draw. Well, the issue when you play a ball like that, with it gets super spinny, is I also have a big right miss. So Tron absolutely dialed me in, figured it out with, you know, went through the whole uh, suite of Callaway heads from the speed to the max to the max LS, got dialed in on that max LS. Figured out my right shaft options, and you know I'm happily, you know, not only putting it in play, but I want to say I'm kind of hitting some bombs out there. So Neil's gonna be up this week. We're gonna play a little bit of golf. I know I can't keep up with him, but I'm gonna to try to impress him a little bit. So we'll see what happens.
0: You can keep up with him, Neil, because Neil has is you know claiming that he's second serve guy, and actually I I will say he doesn't fall into the traps. I keep trying to like bait him into you know a long drive contest. Because I'm I'm swinging out of my ass, but he he doesn't he he has seeded the title even though he still hits it longer than me. He claims like yeah you can hit it farther than me. That's all you want, which I, I'm proud of him. He doesn't need to just bash it. He's learned that you know getting it in play is plays to a lot of his strength. But um, you know we we talk a lot about tour players on how like bombing it and hitting it really far is the play and not really caring where it's going. It's a little exaggerated when we say that because you know it just it it, it probably isn't emphasized enough by us of how straight the tour guys are. And, you know, I've been chasing distance a little bit and feeling a little bit exposed with how inaccurate I've been. My my thinking was, I don't hit it that far, and I'm also not straight, so I might as well hit it further. And then when I get into tournaments now, I'm like, I I don't feel the need to swing really hard right now. So I'm kind of questioning my strategy just because I'm not... Straight enough to you know justify swinging it super hard, but if you're talking about eliminating a big right miss by getting it less spinny and having you know more draw bias, which I assume is in that max LS, then uh, I'm I'm very intrigued to tee it up with you the next time to see how much you've gotten that straightened out. Absolutely, I mean I used to be scared to pull driver, and you I remember
2: the first couple times we played, you're like, man, you hit a lot of three woods, and I hit my three wood really good off the tee, and I know that I'm going to hit a little baby draw. I can I can move it the other way too and hit little fade if I need to, but I know it's going to go in the fairway. And I used to be so afraid. And like I said, when you actually look at the numbers of that old driver and launch angle was pretty good, but that spin was just out of control. And all that means is that people, if you're struggling to hit the ball, uh, you know, struggling with consistency and it's spinning off this, you know, the, the side of the earth, go out and get fitted. Um, and you can either, you know, find an authorized fitter or actually find somebody who actually has a monitor because you're going to learn more from the, the numbers coming out of a TrackMan or, or Repsoto or anything else. Um,
0: and it'll actually get you, you know, pretty dialed in. The, the numbers do not lie. So right. uh, anything else you want to get to before we get to Andy Roddick? No, pumped. I'm excited to hear, you know, this
2: interview. I know you had an exciting week. Uh, out in Dallas. A little bit uh, weather was some concern, so I'm happy that you finally made it back to Florida and down to Jupe uh, for your tournament. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be a great week. I'm actually going to be down in Charleston, so be down a couple days this week to, to be on grounds at the Ocean Course, and I'm very excited to to see the course, catch up with some guys during practice rounds, and, and overall, I think people are going to be a little bit surprised at the ocean course that they remember from two thousand twelve is not gonna look exactly the same. Um so in what I'm way for, now you got me intrigued in what way? Yeah, I think uh, you know, if you go back and, you know, if we go all the way back to the Ryder Cup podcast and the the history lesson that you put us all through there, which is phenomenal, um, you know, Pete Dye did an amazing job working with property that he not only had to build once but rebuild twice because of Hurricane Hugo, but you know, the ocean course was built with a ton of teeth and jagged edges on it. And over time, I think just because of its resort property, fairways were widened, um, some trees and and dunes were softened, and specifically bulkheads kind of worn down over time just from wind and and water and natural runoff things. So over the last two years, Scott Sherman, who used to work uh, for Pete and Alice, uh, has been doing a, a ton of work there trying to put all the little nooks and crannies back into place. And I think you're going to see specifically a couple holes on the the front nine, six, seven, and eight. And then really the biggest changes on the back nine are going to be what you see on 17 and 18 coming in on not only green complexes, but bunkers looking the way that Pete actually intended bunkers to look. Um, And a lot, uh, you know, tighter fairways running off into the waste area. So I'm pumped. I know all this because I love Kiowa and Yari and I go down there quite a bit. And, you know, if you want to learn a little bit more, Andy Johnson over at the Friday and, and Garrett just did an awesome overview of changes that they've done and, and really, you know, all things leading up that that's going to be, you know, get people squared away for it.
0: Hey, man, we got a crash course coming out this coming week on it as well. And, of course, we got a Taurus Sauce episode uh, from November or October 2019. I forget when it was, um, which is recent enough, I'd say. I'm sure the course will look a little different, but uh, if you want to see every hole of that golf course, we've got that as well. So, All right, next up, uh, spent some time in Dallas, as you mentioned, this past week. Got a little rub of the green situation, got a chance to interview Andy Roddick. It was supposed to be Andy Roddick and Peyton Manning. Uh, Peyton did not make it in, uh, and part of the reason I didn't make it out on time was the weather that was going on in Dallas this past week. But awesome time with Andy. We have a, a common love of Sweetens Cove. Uh, we talk a lot about that and how he ended up getting involved in the ownership group there and involved in starting a bourbon, uh, the Sweetens Cove Bourbon, and uh, just a, a fun interview. I love chatting with athletes about golf, you know, athletes from other sports about golf. He's got a great Sergio story in here as well, so uh, enjoy that. Cody, thanks so much for joining us, and we will see you all uh, many times on the coming week as we're going to be doing live shows and podcasts after every round this week uh, from following each round at Kiawah. So, Cheers, Cody. Thanks for the time, buddy. Cheers. Where, if, if we're talking golf, if we're talking Sweeten's Cove, where does where does the Sweeten's Cove Sweeten's Cove story start
1: for you? For me, it was uh, so with Mark Rivers, who's a, a co-founder. We had kind of done some other business type stuff, and he kept coming back where we had seen the bottle of two bottles of uh, wine one night, and he goes, "I'm just telling you, there's this." there's this nine hole public golf course and there's something to it and I don't know what it is I don't know what the bigger play is I don't know you know we we're, we're not looking to get into the nine hole golf business um, cuz the golf business is not crazy Yeah so good. I, and I'm going you keep coming back to this like we've we've talked about it um, you know since our last meeting 2 months ago you're mentioning it again so it's you're obviously attached to it like but why he goes you got to be there like you got to you got to feel it you got to see it it's 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 a great course but it's like the most natural golf experience and so we went there and i go i get it and then all of a
0: sudden there's where's your what's your golf level interest and in, and in, are you a nut are you a sicko like yeah, yeah. how do you end up there first to begin no with, i'm a psycho uh, love <laughs> it
1: i played a little bit when i was playing tennis not a lot It'd be like months between rounds and then when i stopped tennis i was like a five day a week guy just absolutely loved it so it's, it's kind of the center of my my social universe now i'm so happy that my retirement Golf was a part of it. Otherwise, you hear the pitfalls of like athletes like, miss it and they want to go back and they can't get past it. I was like, "You kidding me? I got to play golf all the time? This is phenomenal!" <laughs> like, it, and, it, and without like making a joke of it, it was a huge part of like that transition being easier. Anyway, so we go there and then you know we we kind of notice people taking a shot, leaving a bottle, and we're going, Oh, well, that's cool. That, okay, that's that's something that's unique." First um, tee, you're saying? Is yeah, people. yeah, yeah, it's Sweet, you know. The, and so I'm going, okay. So we do that a couple times. And then we kind of noodle on a little bit more. It's like, okay, we got this golf course now. One, let's not mess it up, right? I mean, as, which is important, you know. And I was like, I was mortified that I remember when we announced that we had we had purchased it, you know, I'm, I'm reading some of the responses, like, they're going to make it a private thing and do it. I'm like, oh, no, guys, I wish I could just tell you we weren't. and I wish you'd believe me. We don't want to get in the way of, of, of the culture that, you know, obviously the New York Times and then, and then you all, frankly, you know, kind of launch this thing. Let's be additive and let's not take away from what's already there. And so, and then anyway, the conversation goes further. And it's, are we, are we stupid enough to try our own bourbon because of this tradition? We landed on yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Here we are. It's very good. Yeah, I say. And we just got cheers lucky, to you that. know. It was yeah. Cheers. We're we're currently sipping it, mm-hmm. and it kind of fell into place. Like, okay, we have this. Is there space for a premium Tennessee product? I think there is. We don't know how to make it. So then Mary Eve comes along, and she's an absolute rock star. You know, the first, the only female master distiller in Kentucky's history since po- Prohibition ended up. She grew up 10 minutes away from Sweetens Cove. So she wasn't doing anything and her big thing was like, I just kinda wanna go mad scientist on something. And I'd I'd worked for the bigger companies and they had a lot of opinions about what should be put out. I said, we know enough to know that our opinions on whatever you would make would be irrelevant and dumb anyway. So we just want to provide you the tools to, to make something great and you can switch, change it up. You know, this year's 2021 blend is completely different than last year's. And I actually think that's kind of cool. It's almost like, you know, wine in a sense where one year differs from the next. And I think there's a lane for it. So long-winded version of saying it was probably a bad idea the whole time and it seems to be working out. I was going to say, dude, it's so
0: hard for me. My first time to Sweden's was April 2018. It's so hard to like imagine three years later that we're sitting here in Texas drinking bourbon, talking about Sweeten's coat. Like
1: that is so far fetched from where this place started. Playing it's... playing golf at the Cotton Bowl, exactly. Because there are people who like <laughs> you know bourbon and golf. It's been kind of crazy. It's been um, you know a, a bit of a whirlwind, and then you know it's like, well, I mean, in the, our strategy is so lame. Like you'll you'll get that over the course of this podcast how how ridiculous it is. But it's like Tennessee. Yeah, we we need that presence. If this is gonna be a Tennessee product, we have Marianne. The golf course obviously sits on its own. You know who else is like? Well, Peyton plays golf. He's a legend here. And so we approached him, and a day later, he's like, "Yeah, I'll do it." I'm like, "Really? Like, like he, <laughs> had he been before?" But before, no, no, he's no. like, "Oh no, I've heard about it. I heard it's awesome. I hear it's really cool. Like, I'd like to do it." And he's a member at another course up there, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, when I, we go, we go there in the summer. And the month we're normally there, they're punching the greens. So I, I need some place to play. Well, I'm there. Perfect. I'm like, oh my." God. Great. Like that's <laughs> just phenomenal. It's a you know, it's it's phenomenal. It's a superintendent problem that well, you, got him on.
0: You touched on it there that, you know, there is an essence about it. There's something about it that makes it very special. But at the same time it kind of needed some upgrades. So how did you go about, you know, not having a bathroom was kind of charming when it was, uh, you know, just starting up. But probably shouldn't have a bathroom. And not having food was kind of like, oh, that's you won't believe this place. You have to bring your own food. And now you have sandwiches. That's good. So how did you go about like deciding what was going to happen? Because and you and I were talking earlier too. You guys are not figureheads in this. You're involved in the in the nitty gritty details. So I'd like to hear kind of what all that process has been like.
1: Yeah. So the the, the first question, we, we first of all, we knew what we weren't going to do. It was never going to be privatized. You know, if, if there was a price fluctuation, it had to be to cover costs just so, so that Sweetens Cove could live on and nothing more. We didn't you know, need to put it in our own pockets. We had to keep the culture. We didn't want it to be this like station where, you know, you couldn't bring your kid for, you know, less than some ridiculous amount and you'd have to wait. And so we knew we didn't want to do, we were never going to build some big fancy clubhouse. Um, that was not a priority. It's a very social place kind of culturally, like you'll end up making friends and having some whiskey with another group that's there from Indiana who you'll never see again in your life. But for that day, you're, you're friends. It's like, okay, so how do we promote that? How do we add more to that? So let's think about the social spaces, right? So if there's a, a, a cool lookout where we could build a fire pit and outdoor, you know, if someone does get a sandwich, you know, meeting spots, the, the putting green, we don't have a driving range. We can't have a driving range. There's not enough land. What if we build a, like a badass putting green and like where at least people can warm up a little bit and kind of get into the flow and talk and maybe give them an excuse to show up an hour early, you know? And so uh, Rob worked with, Brad faxing on that, which was like, I'm like, this is crazy. And so then obviously the heckle deck, which when you tee off on one, and then when you come in on nine, just building a, a, a very basic wooden platform deck where, you know, there's nothing better than if you're, if you bring a group and you're in three or four separate groups, everyone listening to this has been on some crazy golf trip where, you know, some match comes down to the last hole and everyone's involved no matter who's on the trip. And so let's, let's, let's find a way to kind of celebrate that moment um, of kind of going off of one and coming in on nine. And we had a general idea of it, but we, we were very clear about what we didn't want to do more so than what we would do to be additive.
0: Cause it, it's a, again, a problem that I couldn't have imagined happening is it, the place is so insanely popular now mm-hmm. that you have almost too much demand for it mm-hmm. yet at the same time, part of the essence is being able to show up and play yeah. all day and do whatever you wanted. How did you, how did you guys go about like protecting that or reestablishing that even?
1: Well, one, and then the other thing we did was invest in like conditioning because that's the easiest thing. Like nothing is lost from the golf course being in great shape. Um, But yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a little bit difficult. I mean, Mark, Mark came up with the idea. He goes, listen, and especially with a nine hole thing, when you want to play it, no one goes there and plays it once. You play it two or three times, four times in a day. So it's like a turn from nine and the pacing isn't an 18 hole pacing. So all of a sudden the tee times, you know, doing the math between, you know, is it 10 minutes? Is it 15 minutes? Do we need 20 for some lead time? But then you are not getting any Yeah. So it was a real problem. And so it's like, well, what do people, when people come here, what do they want to do? They want to play as soon as the sun's up. They want to leave as soon as the sun's down and they want to get in as many holes as possible. So let's just match what we would make by jamming it. Maybe, you know, maybe, Make make the cost appropriate to what we need to make to operate on a given day, and make it an all day pass. That's what people want to do, anyways. And that seemed to streamline traffic a a little bit because demand is great. But as soon as there's too much demand, the shine kind of wears off, and we were pretty aware of that. We didn't want to get to the point where you all who are who are fans of the place and who have a a a damn house there are like, man, this place is a zoo now. This sucks. It's not the same. Um, and, And so we were. Pretty hyper aware of, of those problems, so the all day pass seems to have solved for that at at least for the for the most part.
0: Thank you for not have, making us turn into you know. Oh, they went so mainstream They went so mainstream. <laughs> we still have time. Uh, we know. still have time. Yeah, don't don't. Yeah, we're not there yet. <laughs> Name me one song off their first album. Uh, yeah. we need one. Well, we need to get you in the house. You guys got to go stay in the house up there. Or where
1: do you guys stay when you go? A lot of times we do. Like we'll bring in our investors. We have our big kind of bourbon launch there, and we we stay in downtown Chattanooga. I you know. Yeah, I didn't know there was a bed available next door. There's Otherwise, 16 that of them. Been, yeah. we'll, we'll get you in there. We can make that
0: happen. But I want to. Uh, so you talked about it earlier about golf becoming your retirement, and I'm curious. Just talking to athletes about, it, it, maybe it's just because I work in golf that it, that I I sense the gravitation towards it. But it seems to be more and more of a thing of like what you do after your professional football career, your professional basketball career, professional tennis career. You play golf. Like what? What is it about golf that, like, scratches an itch for you? Is it competitive? Is it leisure? Is it a mix of all those things? I just – where does your passion for golf come from?
1: Probably all of it. Like, I, I think athletes in general, uh, especially if you're someone like like Peyton who's insane, like, you're you're process-driven, right? And so it was weird. When I retired from tennis, I didn't miss – the traveling and obviously those moments of walking out on like a big court when it's slammed is like, great. I'll never have those moments again. But I miss like the, the cold day when you're on a track at 7.30 in the morning and there's like a process to your day and you get through it and it's hard, you know, but at the end of the day, you feel good about kind of getting through something. And golf kind of filled that process. Like I'm like, oh gosh, I mean, you know, I'm a little bit better than I was yesterday, but you know, I still need to, and, and then mix that in with kind of social engagement and like my best friend's post-career, are people I've met through golf. You know, you you add in something you're working on, like a lot of our uh, investors in the brand, I was able to kind of, our vision of saying, hey, we have a golf course, we're going to make a bourbon brand in 30 seconds is a horrible idea. <laughs> if I can get you for four hours and explain the place and kind of walk you through it sure. and the branding. And listen, there's a real lane in Tennessee to make a premium product. And, but I kind of need four hours for that. So golf's a nice excuse for conversations mm-hmm. like that also.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's just, I, I keep falling back on it being a, a sport you can play for life too. Yeah. I mean, you, do you want to play much tennis these days? Like what, what is your relationship, you know, with, with the sport that you grew up playing professionally? I'm always curious because. Pro golfers play forever, even if you're not playing, you know, competitively anymore. But I don't get the sense that in other sports that that's always the case.
1: I don't play at all, and running's really hard too. Um, you know, <laughs> you don't so, have to run and golf. Yeah, so, so um, bourbon and, and tennis maybe don't go together yeah, you know, I, as know, well as golf. Um, I, 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 enjoy playing. I'm not one of the people who there are a lot of players who stop and like I don't even want to see a racket like that. That's not my relationship with it. I love it. Anything that I'll ever have for the rest of my life is a byproduct of, of, of tennis. Um, I'm certainly aware of that. But it, it, we were kind of talking on the way down here. We were walking through the concourses of the Cotton Bowl uh, down to our podcast bunker here. I, I'm jealous of golf where you can go out and play with your buddies. One's a 20 handicap, one's a six, someone's a two, and, and you can find a game that is relevant. And as long as you play fast, it really makes no difference. I can't do that with a lot of people in tennis. It's it's a it's a chore at a certain level. Well, you're playing against them in tennis, yeah.
0: and in golf, you're playing. You're all playing against the golf course. Yeah, and in,
1: in, in Sweetens is one kind of venture that I'm involved with. But a lot of the guys who are starting to play, like the I guess the version of the senior event, are like rolling off of tour like a year or two, and they still like a lot of the guys like live at tennis academies and play four times a week, and I play like five times a year. And so it's work, and at a certain point, you just don't really feel good. It's a grind, and you know. So I I, I don't play much. I'd like to, I'd like to play more. Um, but golf wins the day most most times now.
0: I'm sure. Yeah, golf is just more.
1: It, I
0: guess tennis has you know different court surfaces and, and yeah. things like that, but it doesn't have the different venues.
1: There's like not there's golf not an does. An, there's not an excuse to travel to the sand hills of Nebraska to exactly to. to uh, to play tennis exactly
0: yeah. well all right our guy Neil was begging me to ask you this question so he has something that he calls his second serve drive so he, he's a big long hitter but has crazy big misses yeah, yeah. and he's tried this mindset of <laughs> second serve right I've already faulted now I'm getting one in play here yeah, yeah. like so he just wanted me to ask you like does that translate to a golf swing at all in terms of how you approached your second serve after faulting oh, in
1: tennis man. I, I, does that make sense I, I get where you're going <laughs> and I wish there was that control mechanism like I, I always tell my friends I wish just for like one day I want to be able to do with a golf ball what I was able to do like with tennis just to see what it would be like like you, you know towering cut or high draw or you play one low and like I wish like in tennis I just you just kind of had to think about it right it's like ingrained because it's something you've done forever and I wish I could just translate that for a day just to see what it would feel like because I'm the same like I'm you know I'm please just find a fair way are like, you
0: getting better like are you what's your handicap what was it when you really got into it I'm
1: uh gosh I was, I was I was double double digit and I'm, I'm down to a, I I'm normally sit around a one or a two okay um so you can so, do
0: some of these things that you're saying you wish you could be no
1: <laughs> I, no but it's not it's just not it's not even close to the same like you, you can do it one day for three holes and then all of a sudden you, you pull the next three drives and it's like, you know, whatever. But I'm good enough at golf to know that I'm not very good at golf. Hmm.
0: That that makes sense. Yeah. It's almost like that kind of uh, whatever that graph is of, you know, the stupidity graph or whatever. You're very willing to make an argument when you know little about a, a topic. But then 100%. like the more you learn, you're like, oh, wait a second yes. here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Perfectly put. Do you play? Who do you who do you mostly play with? I mean, is it do you play with other pro golfers frequently or uh,
1: I don't play with a lot of a lot of. Row golfers? No. I always had this thing where, like, for a while, when the first two years when I was kind of in the process of trying to get better, I wanted to be the worst player in, in the group.
0: You um, learned so much from playing right yeah, next to good players. Yeah.
1: And, and so it was, I, I really kind of pursued that because I wanted to see different shots. If you don't see them, how are you going to know the process of hitting them, what they would do, when they would lay back, why? So I was very interested in playing with, you know, guys that would qualify for, for the mid-am or, you know, so I was always, like, kind of the worst player in the group and they just uh, I guess suffered through me, um, hmm. through my learning curve. Hmm. Well, what
0: is, so take me to kind of like what the hands-on details are like for the club. From what I understand, you guys have Monday meetings just like we do actually. And it sounds like it's not always, you know, it's not all bourbon and, and roses every day, right? No. Managing a golf club is, there's a lot of work. Well, I mean, it.
1: the golf club, um, you know, damn, it, 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 that's probably the least of our worries, like trying to have something with the golf that was established, that people really love, that has already set its, its office culture, for lack of a better term, you know, okay, so we should probably be a little bit more organized about retail. You know, we should make sure we have stuff all the time, <laughs> you know, so the, the golf course was is probably less of a conversation, you know, we raise money in certain a certain amount of that uh, with the whole bourbon I was set aside to take care of the golf course conditioning, um, but beyond kind of raising and committing dollars the golf course was kind of set right the culture and you know the greetings and the we were never going to move the trailer so going into a, a really intense space in the spirits industry with not a lot of know-how that was that was probably the the that that's a much bigger stress point than 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 the actual golf operations and what is
0: is what is Jim Nance's involvement is he a member's owner is he part of the group what I don't know what any of us are to be honest but um
1: (laughs) Jim is he's he's one of our so we had our our kind of core founding group of you know uh you know Peyton myself Mark uh Tom Nolan Skip Bronson who kind of like jumped on the crazy train early with this Let's let's try this in that. Oh, and Rob obviously was was part of that group. Um, And uh, then we raised from uh, was it 30, including us. So it's probably 34, 33, 34 other individuals um, who came on and, you know, mostly focused on the bourbon side, but are involved. Uh, or, or on a small piece of the golf course as well, and and Nance is on 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 those those next. So basically, we we had our marching orders of of us core, you know, five or six guys. We we all have to go out and it's the same deal for every person. Go out and find you know five six seven investors and let's regroup in a week and let, let's hustle. And that was kind of how it went down. And you know, it was six,
0: easier than you thought it would be too. So, well,
1: <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I I say like to find the investors. I have a, I have a friend of our, I have a friend of mine in Charlotte uh, named Jonathan Ishi. And he's like, your pitch was the worst I've ever heard. <laughs> he's a pretty, like, you know, successful entrepreneur. He's like, that was the worst. He goes, I don't know. I can be convinced of most things in golf. Like, I figured worse. You case. had me. <laughs> I said, Wor- worst case is like a friendship tax. I'm like, God, I, th- I thought I was really good for a second. I was terrible, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> well, it,
0: it, uh, on the retirement note, too, of, you know, no – it's it's got to be weird. You're retired from tennis, right? But you're not retired from work. You know, in, in life, you're not sitting on a beach anywhere like that. So I guess, yeah. Do you consider yourself in retirement, or what are you? What are you? What are your
1: goals? What do you want to achieve? Yeah. post Tennis knowledge. I think you know. I think you get enough things. You, you you I'm kind of addicted to information. But no, I mean, even during my career, my my main business post career is. Commercial real estate company that I'm in with one other guy, and it's the most boring business. You would not be doing a (laughs) podcast about it, I promise you. But you know, the the one thing that I was I I had during my career, and have continued to have and have pursued is access to brains. Right? You play with someone, you have them, you know, kind of hostage for four hours. They don't mind you asking questions out on the golf course, and so that's been a huge, huge thing. And so, building things is fun, you know. And, and starting at the ground level of things, where you know it's not not a given. There were there were so much of my life revolved around. It was planned out for me. So, kind of moving into different business spaces has been uh, almost almost a bit of an awakening, you know, where where I don't know exactly where I'm going to be next July. Uh, you know, late July, you know, is London and then you come home and then you have a week off. And then, you know, from the time I was a kid, that's been pretty planned out. And so it's nice to kind of have a little bit of freedom to operate and, and hope that Sweetens goes great and react to uh, successes. What's your, what's your
0: go-to or favorite hole at Sweetens? What, what, what what do you, what kind of defines what makes you love that
1: place? So hard. Um, Nine's great. That's fun. It's 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 the most fun because it gets the most reactions, sure. right? Like it's the, it's it's the I say it's like the oho, like oh oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> one, one I I love one. One's a great hole. I think one is amazing. The new back t box because there's so much you're looking at, but there's there's a little more space than you think on on the drive. The second shot, you have to know it and play it to know that you can actually bail out pretty far left like what's in front of you is not really what you're dealing with. You can take kind of the easy way out left and then, you know, where you play it, you're going to get the role off the b- I think you have to have the most intimate knowledge. No one says one unless they've played it 20 times
0: it's one of the coolest green complexes i've ever played in terms of exactly what you're saying you don't have to be perfect with your shot right if you can aim it right at the pin if you hit it right at the pin it's going to go near it and also if you kind of veer to the left it might funnel off the
1: hill and go close but also to the pin. You, you get like the reaction i'm like oh you can play it in the back of the hill and then you know sometimes we've all hit it on the hill there and it goes 40 yards right yes. like it's just not even they're like dude you told me i could go there i'm like well you know i, yeah, I, don't, know, I don't
0: know what to tell you there's a couple uh, – number two I love when they put that, that pin in the front. Like yeah. It's very accessible. I think that's the best pin there, yeah. Yeah, you can, it's accessible, but like you can mess it up pretty bad. Exactly. If you miss it, you can make a bogey well, pretty that's easily. that's the whole thing. It's exactly. Like, it's, you can go
1: out and be like, I can dominate this place, and then you play it again, and it's like, I can get dominated by this right. place. Right, <laughs> you
0: can end up in all the wrong spots yeah. or all the right – it just seems to always happen consecutively yeah.
1: too. What? Where do you play in Charlotte? I played a place called the Charlotte Country Club. And what's that like? Yeah, it's great. It's an uh, you know, old Donald Ross course. I, I honestly don't, I don't play too much when, when I'm actually home. We were, we were talking on the way down, too. I was like, the one-night golf trip where you're like, you fly, you play around, have some pops, hang out with your buddies, play early in the morning. And you're back by the time, like, I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. By the time, like, it's, you know, three or four o'clock and they're ready to go after naps and stuff, like, you're home. That's, like, my favorite thing in the world to do. So you're not
0: looking to just take big, long week, week plus I can, long I buddy trips. Like yeah. with,
1: between work and, yeah, my wife is amazing. She understands that the, this is my vice. Um, she's phenomenal with it. But like I, no, I, I it's not what I you really, want to be doing. I really like yeah. my kids. Like, <laughs> like, I really like them. You know, so you know, two two nights feels like long to me. But uh, you know, the the one night golf trip is like I'd rather sacrifice four rounds at home to go kind of travel somewhere awesome and, and do a one night.
0: What's a highlight place that you've played?
1: Uh, Pine Valley is my favorite. yeah what um,
0: why is that your favorite?
1: It's just because when you you play well there, there's a lot of space to hit If you know what your ball flight's gonna be, right y- If you know you have a cut and you can hit it all day, you can score. If you have a two-way miss you are dead to rights. It's the most and but it, it unlike some places where it's like you hit a good shot and it's just unfair. If you hit a good shot there, it's never unfair ever. And then if you don't, you are screwed. Like, absolutely screwed, and I, I completely respect that. It's such a grind when you're not playing well, and it's, like, it makes so much sesh, uh, sense archi- architecturally when you're playing well. Like, it's just, like, you see it, you feed it, you know the shot you have to hit. Um, it's my favorite. Uh, another, like, best place I've seen in a long time is uh, as far as new cores at oh, mm. is phenomenal.
0: I haven't F- been there yet. It's like, fun. I'm blaring omission in my golf residence. It's
1: but. awesome. And so
0: with... It's te- comparable to Sweden's in some ways, right? It, it's it kind of it, not in terms of the golf, but like it, it is a different concept for golf.
1: Yeah, but it they kind of thread the needle between a proper round. You walk, you get your yardages, you do it, but they also play Willie Nelson on the driving range. Like yeah. There's not a lot like <laughs> most places that play music on the range. You know, you're just gonna go like speed derby with your carts, and you're gonna roll up, and it's gonna have the number, and there's not gonna be a lot of like. Conversation. There's not going to be so they thread the needle between like an old school golf experience with like a modern day club as good as I've seen.
0: Hmm. What uh, at Pine Valley did you play all the way back or did you play the? I played MOT? it. I played all the way back okay. once. It. I've only played it all the way back. So difficult. back Yeah, there. I don't need to. It's, it's <laughs> so hard.
1: I mean, it's just it's it's. Uh,
0: it's just like it looks like some of these tee boxes. You know, you can almost barely even see the, where the fairway yeah, where you're trying I mean, to hit reason, it. The
1: reason the reason I wanted to play it back was just so when you see these scores come across and crump and these yeah. other events where. Like I'm going. How does someone? Shoot? I don't understand how that. How does someone go 64, 65? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. So you just wanted to kind of feel, and it's 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 all you can handle. I, I don't I don't need to play there.
0: Any interest in competitive golf? Or have you done it? No, 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 none. none. Amateur tournaments, nothing.
1: It, like if you if you're just like, hey, you know, we can go hit balls in the range, and we're really this is probably why I'm stagnant with my handicap. Or we can go out and like mix it up and play six holes. I'm like play six holes yeah. every time. Like I grinded on the minutia of one sport for so long, and it was a stress point. I never, ever, ever want golf to become a stress point. Ever.
0: Any skills in tennis, do they translate to golf at all? Or does it? I mean, baseball almost, I feel like, works against people in a golf swing. But yeah. I'm wondering, like, hockey players seem to transition very well because that the way they generate speed with a hockey stick helps. But you were known for your serve in, in tennis. Does that help you at all for, in golf?
1: I don't know. I don't, I don't think I mean, it would. I, I don't know. I, I mean, it seems to, like – I don't know what it is, but it seems to translate, and I don't know why. I mean, you, you most – tennis players who play golf pretty aggressively like they they get the rounds in end up being low single handicaps and then you have like fish he's like a i mean he's like a plus he's amazing um Courier's really good sampras hits it a mile he's really good i mean connor's is really good you know so you but there's something to being a professional athlete and learn you learned how to be competitive in this sport and you learned
0: you know how to get better I think at it. You that learned, has to translate some. I think you learn feels a little bit. Like, yeah.
1: I, I I haven't taken a lesson. I don't yeah. ever take a lesson, but it's like, okay, well, I think of this thing like this simplify like, let swing left. I don't think about arm angles and, you sure. know, all this stuff, but, like, you kind of learn how to self-analyze a little bit coming from other sports. Maybe that's it, but I, I don't know what the special sauce is with, with tennis to golf, but it, it seems to translate. You know, most... People would end up becoming pretty good golfers.
0: What's the your bucket list place you've never played that you're you're dying to get to?
1: A lot of the places in Australia. Mm. I have played Kingston Heath. Uh, I've played that twice when we were down there. But like Royal Mer- Melbourne, even going to New Zealand and Tara Edie, mm. and you know going to Tasmania and Barbara, like that whole run where you could actually settle in. I've never been to Ireland. Never been to Scotland. Never. So all of the places where you travel and experience a different type of golf, I would I would want to see. Um, like I said, my kids are still young. Those aren't exactly convenient for the one night golf trip that I like right now in my life. <laughs> you need to get
0: them playing, and then I, then uh, you golf, take the trip over be, to Scotland oh, what a with dream them. That would be, yeah. yeah, old courses where I'd say yeah. your first big trip just set up right there. Yeah. There's so much good golf in there. And I, I, I
1: I can say I will see all of them at some point. It's just I gotta. It's gonna take some time. I also want to create some space where you you don't want to go over there and like not see everything. Sure, you know. So I, I think I'm a years away from that. But Who,
0: who's the best player you've ever played with? You like you play with tour pros
1: often, or kind of any crazy awesome experiences with groups you've had? Um, I play with Sergio a lot because he's he was he's in Austin now. You get Sergio when he's just freewheeling, or like relaxed, and I mean he just doesn't he doesn't miss shots. He's, it's so good. The way he views a course is just it's so different. Like we'll be a we're at Spanish Oaks in Austin. He doesn't know the line. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm trying to explain it like, like if we went out, and you hadn't seen a place. I don't, I don't know what you play off of, but I'm like, oh yeah, you, you kind of lay back here and you know, i be easy shot. There's no trouble. Like I'm saying, like hit it here because there's right. no trouble. There's OB left. I'm, water like, go, right. I'm like, it goes, it goes half fairway. He goes, how, how far is the hole? I'm Like I don't know. It's like, you know, 400. What's, well, what's the last? What, what does it do the last like 70 yards? I'm like, oh, it's like downhill kind of towards a pin. He goes. I'm just going to hit it there. I'm like, oh yeah, just do that. So, <laughs> but It's but, hard to give really good players advice. On so I'll, I'll tell you this, this is a great, like this, this is good for a podcast. So the week before he won the masters, we played, we would play tennis every morning and we'd go out and play golf every afternoon. And we're walking down, uh, 17 at Spanish Oaks. And, uh, I said, you know, how do you, how do you feel about, about next week? And he's like, he goes, man, he goes, I've never like, the golf course stresses me out. Like I just, there's always a day where it's hard, it's windy, the greens, I miss a chip. Like the guys who win the masters grind through and they, they end up at par on days where it's just hard. And he goes, I, j- I just can't, I've never been able to grind. It was like completely self-aware by the way, which I, I wish more of the golf world knew about him. Like they see his worst moments and his petulant moments. He would admit to those, but he, he's, he's kind of self-aware. Um, you know, when, when no one's watching, um, and he goes, he goes, but he goes, I've never had more control over my golf ball. He goes, I can move it three yards either way right now. That's like haunting. <laughs> <Never>. <laughs> and so, and so he says it, and he goes, I just have to get through that, that like tough round. He goes, I can score there. He goes, I need to like, just save the bad day. And so it was like day two, I think it was blowing like 30, 35 miles an hour or something like that. And he made 17 pars. And I'm going, oh my God. And I didn't text him. I'm like, Don't say anything like, yeah. like This is what he's talking about. This is what he this is what he was <laughs> just saying. He got through and he got like some tough up and downs, made some, you know, six footers, some tough six footers, which obviously has been his Achilles heel over the year the years. And uh like it, it was almost foreshadowing. It was crazy. And so I'm like watching on Sunday, I'm like, Oh my god, this is, amazing. This is unbelievable. And then he you know, burned the edge on the one putt to win it. I'm like, Oh no, come on, come on, come on, come on. And he did it. And it was like he he knew it was so clear to him what had to happen. And it was so he comes back the next day. I go, "How do you like the golf course now?" He goes, "I've had a difference of opinion." <laughs> <laughs> well, you're gonna be playing there for the rest of your yeah, life. dude. But, no, you... but he said, "Like I can, I've, I have complete control over my golf ball. Hmm. I can move it either way, high, low." whatever i need to right now what a feeling that must be yeah yeah
0: all right man well let's get back get you back up to hitting some golf shots up there and uh, we may sprinkle in some bourbon along the way as well but thanks a lot for coming on the pod and we'll have to we got to get a sweden's trip planned or next time you go you got to come stay at the house at least.
1: appreciate you okay. thank you
0: all right thanks Andy. be the right club be the right club
1: today yes. yeah. Yeah. Johnny, that's better than most How about in? That is better than most. Better than most. (laughs) Expect.